Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast Summer Series. This is the Summer Series. For those Australians that remember Good Morning Australia and Bert Newton, you'll be able to understand why we're doing this. <laughs> For everyone else, moving right along. Uh, we, we, as we mentioned last week, are taking a bit of a break over our summer. I've got a book to finish writing. We're taking a holiday and it's just a nice opportunity to take some downtime, but... We thought it was also a really good opportunity to kind of bring back some of our either most popular or favorite or, I don't know, most engaging shows of most the last... Most relevant yeah. to now. Yeah. So anyway, we've got, we've got we've a month's worth of, of uh, Thursday shows and we've chosen some, some episodes that we thought you might enjoy. So the first one... So the first one mm-hmm. is Jonathan Fields, the conversation that you had a little while ago now. This is probably the most recent one, actually. Mm. Jonathan wrote a book late uh, this year, or well, mm-hmm. probably it's like October, maybe? Yeah, about October. Called How to Live a Good Life. And it was fanta- an absolutely fantastic book, and this is such a great conversation. So I wanted to, to bring it back around. Uh, but coincidentally, if you are flying anywhere these holidays... On, to, on a Qantas. On a Qantas plane. Mm. You'll be able to listen to this episode as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we need, it, this, this arrangement sort of happened towards the back end of last year, but you can catch Selected Slow Your Home podcasts on Qantas flights, which on their in-flight entertainment, mm. which is awesome. It is awesome. We're, we're when so, I flew to Perth, I'm like, I wonder if it's on here yet. And I checked and it was, and that was a bit of a buzz. Yeah, so that's a bit of a celebration for us. And if you're catching a Qantas flight, why not listen to this <laughs> podcast again? <laughs> then let Qantas know how much you enjoyed it yeah, exactly. and that you would like them to purchase our entire back catalogue. Just let them know that. That's fine. <laughs> but Jonathan's, this this conversation is is really great. And I think... Heading into the new year as well, mm. you know, we talk quite a lot about what it means to live mindfully, but also how to make changes, positive changes in your life and how it doesn't necessarily or certainly doesn't happen quickly. Uh, but Jonathan's had a really interesting backstory as well. And he's someone, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I listen to conversations with people who have done, made positive change, but they've sort of started from a good place. Yeah. And Jonathan talks about how that wasn't necessarily the case for him. So it's a, yeah, it's a really, really good one and hopefully quite inspiring heading into their new year. Speaking of year. Ooh, nice. Speaking of year, 2017, uh, I'm doing the simple year again with some of my simple living friends. We've got Courtney Carver, The Minimalists, uh, Rachel Macy Stafford, quite a few, uh, Kate Flanders as well is is part of it. Quite, so quite a few guests of the show, and you might have heard me talk about it earlier in the year, but uh, each of us teaches one module throughout the year. So I'm teaching the January module, which is all about decluttering, uh, and the registration for 2017 is currently open. So if you, want, if you want to find out a bit more about it, find out who's teaching the other 11 modules, what we'll be covering, head to slowyourhome.com, and at the top there, you will see a little tab that says Simple Year 2017. Click on that and you'll find out everything that you need to know. Awesome. It's awesome. Okay. Well, enjoy the first of the summer series.
Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I am very well. Very well, actually. It's um, it's a rare person who will get me up and interviewing at 4 a.m., so I am... <laughs> <laughs> I was so sorry about Don't that. Don't be sorry. <laughs> I chose it. <laughs> right. Look at it this way. By the time everybody else is waking up, your day will be pretty much over, so you can just go for a walk. Exactly. That's one of my favorite things about getting up and working early. You know, people getting up at seven o'clock, my kids get up at seven and I'm, I'm sort of halfway through my day. It's brilliant. Yeah. I thank you so much for, for joining me because I know this has been quite a, you know, a, a busy time for you launching your new book, How to Live a Good Life and, you know, among everything else that you do. And I think that's actually a really kind of good point to kick off on because you talk and I talk as well about living a slower more intentionally paced life and then we have periods of time in our lives where that's just not entirely possible and and, you know there's this friction and I often get pushback I guess from people who look at those periods in my life and say you know that's not slow that's not intentional and I'm really curious to see how other people deal with that sort of friction and, and how you know you feel about it and how you you also manage it and keep it as intentional as possible. So how are you finding the, you know, the, the launch period, I guess? Yeah. So as, as we sit here and speak, I have uh, a new book that launched on a Tuesday. And for me, my time, you know, it's a couple of days later and it has not been a slow week for me <laughs> in any way, shape or form. That said, um, it has been a very intentional week. And even given the fact that, you know, there's so much has gone right, but also some major things have gone wrong. There have been explosions behind the scenes, meltdowns, you know, like a lot of tap dancing and things like that. But, um, you know, I think the my approach is to sort of say, okay, look, my when I zoom the lens out and I look at the way that I want to live my life, you know, intentional, deliberate, um, joyful, present, aware are sort of the you know, the meta filters for me. That's what I try and do. And at the same time, there will be windows where, um, you know, I can literally just spend time reading and relaxing and, you know, going really deep into self-care and, um, and consuming and digesting. And there will be other windows where that process yields some creative work or experience or project or brand or entire company that has to, go from being an idea into being in the world. And sometimes the best way to make that happen is to make it happen in a pretty compressed fashion. So there's, to me, it's not so much about saying, well, that's a bad thing. It's about acknowledging that this, in fact, is an intelligent way to to go about it. It's the best way that I know how to do it. And what I need to do is to make all of my decisions um, intentionally, knowing that for this window of time, this is how I'm going to be investing my energies. This is my commitment to self-care as I do it. This is my openness to having to um, change on the fly and be open to serendipity. You know, these are the agreements that I'm making with the people who are dear to me in my life about what I'll be doing, how long I'll be preoccupied. And when I've committed to being like stepping back out and really being there and present and asking them, you know, if that's okay and, and having a real conversation about it rather than just sort of entering the process on a reactive autopilot mindless basis. So I'm completely okay with that. Um, you know, I think when you do it 
from a place of just being sort of pulled almost violently without a sense of intention or um, directionality or control and no no agreements about what you're doing or no understanding of why you're doing it and no no sort of commitment to a particular window of time where you'll stop and say, how's this working for me? That's where things really get problematic. So for me, I am very much in the whirlwind right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny because my friends who've known me for years, they're like, dude, you're the calmest person like we know. You know, you're in the middle of all this stuff. You're just kind of so relaxed all the time. And I'm thinking to myself, if you only knew what was happening inside <laughs> of my head right now, you wouldn't be saying that because it is an absolute, you know, like torrent of stuff. And the flip side is, look, I'm human. I'm, I'm not a super being. I'm not, you know, there are times where I completely screw up. There are times where I blow apart everything that I claim to hold dear and, and I push too far and I just kind of have to pull back out and and hit reset and say, wow, that didn't work. Um, you know, let me stop whatever behavior I'm in. Let me just sort of like, you know, regroup a little bit and do a little bit of a postmortem and figure out how to, what did I learn from this and how can I, how can I try and do it differently moving forward? You know, I, I think it's just really important to forgive your humanity. We tend to get so caught up in perfection and like, especially if you're somebody who puts an ideal into the world, Yes, you know, that's awesome. But the ideal to me is never an expectation. It's an invitation. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to be held to the expectation of perfect implementation of any ideal because I can't. You know, the, the only thing that happens is I fail if that happens. There's no perfect. So it's all to me, it's all an invitation to consider and to explore. I think it's also just a mindfulness. You know, you nailed it initially when you said it's just intention. You're intentionally in this period of, of, you know, of lots of things happening. And there's a lot of reasons that you've chosen to be there. And I think to me, that's, that's really the ultimate in mindfulness. It's not so much for life to look a specific way all the time, particularly to someone who's looking in from outside, but it's, it's more about a switching on and, and really choosing I think to, to be a certain way for me, mindfulness is really kind of summed up in by what it's not. And it, it's not mindlessness, you know? And when I realized that mindfulness is really the opposite of mindlessness, that was a big moment for me because I did a lot of living mindlessly. And that's when you'd find yourself in those situations. How did, how, why am I, how did I, why did I get to this point? And it's once you start to realize that there are choices in pretty much every aspect that that will allow you to live more mindfully even if those times are you know there's there's times that are hectic there are times that are are full but then the flip side is that there's also times that aren't and I think that's the the beauty of it and I love the idea of really kind of taking a 10,000 foot view of life rather than necessarily focusing in on you know what it looks like in the every moment because there's going to be periods like you're experiencing at the moment but then there's other periods of of downtime and self-care and you know slowness and i think that that that's been something helpful for me how about yourself yeah no totally i mean um so i'm a parent and and my and my daughter is in, in high school now um but if you had told me when she was three months old or six months old hey listen you need to kind of slow down, be really intentional, be deliberate about everything that you're doing, you know, be present and aware. I was, I would have said, okay, I get that, but are you kidding me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
know, it's like I'm I'm not sleeping. I'm miserable and grumpy. And, you know, and I'm thrown into this thing where there's no book in the planet that prepares you for something which is amazing and incredible, but completely consuming for the first time in your life. You know, most people realize that they are going to be like not number one or number two, but like way down the pecking order for years, if not decades. And you're like, you're kind of hanging on for dear life in the early days. So, you know, so to me, it's like I said, it's. It's all about just making an invitation, just saying to yourself, look, I know this matters. Let me do it as much as I can do it in my life. And to the extent that it's just not possible given the circumstances or I need to do it differently or my way or just in windows here and there, let me forgive the fact that I'm human hmm. and um, just do the, be- do the best that I can. And then rather than chastising myself for not being perfect, just saying, you know what? I did my best. And for now, that's going to have to be enough. Mm. Was becoming a parent the catalyst for you to to shift the focus and the way that you were living? Or did that happen before you became a parent? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've kind of thought about this um, a lot more recently and a lot more while I was writing the book. And um, what's interesting is that there are a handful of things that all happened right around the same time as my daughter's birth. I've been married um, for 19 years with my wife for 24 years. But we were at a point in our lives where we were in a new place, uh, settling into a new neighborhood and kind of a new phase in our lives, um, maybe kind of stepping into, you know, sort of like the next season of being a grown up. Mm -hmm. Um, I was about to start a business and my daughter was born three months before 9-11 in New York, where Anyone who, you know, is a New Yorker who was there that day, especially, you spent a lot of time really reassessing what mattered in life and how you wanted to invest your time on the planet. Because, you know, we were there. This was this was the most horrific thing. Mm. Um, and to just know that, you know, you're walking around and you're breathing in ashes and that you knew, you know, that, that everybody lost somebody mm. that day that they knew. And so there was a whole bunch of stuff that all happened around the same time for me. And that combined with, you know, like with being a new dad who might, uh, you know, and really just saying, what do I want for me? What do I want for my wife and I? What do I want for my daughter, for our family? And what do I want um, to create in the world that might in some way serve something bigger? Those are questions that I probably started asking a lot more regularly. And I probably started going more deeply into the answers than I had before. And so, yeah, I think I was that whole window I was confronted in a very visceral way, the rawest possible way of what was really on the line. Kind of a, a blending of stuff coming together and being this, um, all kind of adding up to this big inciting incident, I think. Um, that said, I've also been a seeker my entire life. You know, not so much a faith-based seeker, but just I've always been somebody who's deeply fascinated by human potential and the human condition and how we live in the world and how we live better in the world. And that's been a through line with nearly everything that I've done. And, and I mean, that's what your work currently looks like is a big part of it is the, the Good Life Project and talking to people about what that looks like for them and, and really, as you say, seeking it for yourself. You're kind of on this quest that you talk about at the beginning of your book that you didn't realize you were going to live quite so publicly to yeah. you know, to find this good life but uh, you know it that's where you've you've chosen to take it and that's where you've allowed it, it to to kind of lead you i think 
you know, becoming a parent, I've got two kids myself, they're seven and five. It's not by no means the only the only way people come to these these kind of questioning times in their life. I often find that when I have conversations with people for this podcast, it's either a time of immense change or a time of trauma or loss or, you know, sadness or a, a really stunning kind of realization yeah. that they need something to change. And I think one of the things that I loved about both you wrote about it in your manifesto and also, you know, there's a, a theme there quite heavily in your book about choosing rather than surrendering, you know, choosing how to, to live life rather than surrendering. surrendering. And I think that that brings about almost a defensiveness initially from people. I know it has from me when people have told me that I've had a choice in how to, to move forward and what, you know, what, what action to take and what action to not take. Do you do you feel that that kind of defensiveness when you realize that you that you're you've chosen to put yourself in a position and then it's it's on you to choose your way forward? I don't feel that um probably because I'm I've been so heavily invested in trying to develop cultivate the opposite for for so many years mm-hmm. at this point. I can certainly understand that reaction from a lot of people though it's it's to me 100% conceivable um and i and i get it i i sympathize with it and i empathize with it and i i try to be really careful in also not judging you know cuz i don't know i don't know your life i don't know anybody's life i don't know your history and what brought you to this place my approach is more that I've spent years now really sort of deconstructing my life and traveling around the world and sitting down with these people I call embodied teachers. And these are, as you mentioned, they're people who very often we know because they're, they've written about or spoken about all sorts of different things. But fundamentally, I'm interested in them because in some way, the way that they're actually living their life is showing me that they're actually, they're embodying this. There's something about it where they figured something out. And I kind of want to know what's going on there. Um, and you know, when I, when I started to look at a bigger, I call it data set of all these amazing teachers, what I started to notice is they have all moved through a profound array of life experiences and circumstances and trauma and, you know, like high points. And one of the unifying things about people who, when I look at them, you would look at them and say, they're living a good life. One of the unifying things has been a sense of agency, a sense of intentionality, a sense of, and very often it's like something happened in their lives that made them say, I will not define myself from this moment forward as a reaction to the wants and the needs and the demands and the stories of others. This is my time. Mm. Even if that, even if taking that definition means you turn around and devote your life to service, that's a choice that you're making because it's the thing that lights you up, not because others are saying this is what we're demanding of or from you. The, the idea, I think, is that like this is a common pattern that I've seen, and what I can tell you is that, you know, through that correlation, it seems to me like that is that is a really really important part of living a good life, and at the same time. You know, I, I see the defensiveness around the argument that says, look, I, I did not end up in the circumstance that I'm in right now because I chose to be here. You know, whether it's poverty, whether it's illness, whether it's, you know, being somewhere where, and 100% right. You know, like very often that's true. 
you know, very often there are people that just end up in circumstances through, you know, like happenings um, and on the other side through fortunate happenings. And the question becomes, once you're there, how will you create your reality? Mm. You know, what will you choose? And that doesn't mean being all Pollyanna-ish. And it also, um, it's it's not an abdication of, you know, like blaming or claiming anyone for anything like that. It's about saying, okay, look, this particular circumstance, you know, the way my life is right now, I've built it this way. Or maybe part of it has just, this is the way it's been delivered to me. What I'm more interested in is the question of, yes, own that 100%, get rid of the blame, get rid of the shame. The question I'm interested in is, and now, mm. how how will you choose from this moment forward? So let's like just take blame off the table. I'm not judging anybody, and I and I think it's wrong to judge anybody for what brought them to this point in their lives, right? If you could let go of the shame and blame, and just say from this moment forward, if I believed that being intentional, that that stepping into a place of agency, that choosing, was really really important in the way that I experienced the rest of my life. What choices will I make? And I think that's so incredibly empowering for people. Uh, you know, and I agree with you 100% with everything you, you've just said. You know, there are circumstances that are out of people's control, but what is in our control is a choice moving forward. Uh, and I think that one of the, the things that really helps or has helped me and in all the conversations that I've had with people over the years who have made similar kind of determinations in their life and then similar similar choices to move forward in a particular way they've got they've had or have developed a really clear idea of what's important to them like what is at the center of their life you know that their priorities the things that they're going to choose to put up the top of the list and the things that that really just aren't so important do you agree with that do you use use your priorities as a, a guidepost and a foundation for which to make those choices and then also how I mean, how do you see that people can develop those priorities and, and start to get a better understanding of them for themselves? Yeah. Um, no, it's so true. I completely agree. And I absolutely sort of, you know, I it's one thing to be intentional, right? So that, that says, okay, I'm here and um, I'm making choices. But it doesn't matter if you're not first self-aware. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you don't actually do a little bit of work to understand who you are, what matters to you, what's important to you, then how can you be intentional? Because being intentional would be aligning the actions, the choices and actions that you take in the world with the fiber of your being, with what you hold dear and sacred in your life, with what's important to you. Even if you have the intention to be intentional, we're getting a little meta here, <laughs> right? How can, how can you be if you don't first understand what matters to you? Mm-hmm. So it's it's so important to go there. And yeah, you know, there aren't a whole lot of you know like universities or schools, mainstream schools that teach you. Okay, you know, here's how to figure out what matters to you. So I do think it's critically important. Um, you know, it's part of part of what I wrote about in my new book, and part of the, and and the, which is an outgrowth of a lot of the stuff that we've developed for programs that we've run over the years with people. Um, is really, you know, it's a self-discovery deep dive. It's looking at yourself and asking yourself, okay, let me drill down and figure out what really matters to me. What are my sacred beliefs and values? What are my strengths and virtues? You know, what are my gifts and abilities? What are the things that spark me, that light me up? Who are the people who, when I'm around them, I feel like I'm most myself. I feel like I'm home. So, so these are the things that, 
you know, we've got to take time to actually ask ourselves because that's what allows us to actually make choices that are aligned with who we are, mm. you know, to be intentional um, in a way that's actually meaningful. And then I think when we're, we're faced with those choices and we may either face pushback from external sources or internal sources, it gives you the strength to to sort of stand up with your shoulders squared and say, but this is why I'm deciding to act this way. This is why I'm saying yes. This is why I'm saying no. This is why I've decided to, you know, take this particular course of action. And I've found just in my own life, having done that work to figure out what's important, it really does kind of feed into that strengthening of conviction, I suppose, in in the way we we do things and why we do things. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. Mm. On all, on all of that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I really love about you know your manifesto, which someone sent to me a few few weeks ago, which I really love and encourage everyone to to read in addition to your book, but your emphasis on self, you know, self care, self awareness, as we were just talking about, and also, I guess, the recognition that we don't exist simply to live according to other people's agendas. Uh, and I, I find that an incredibly powerful thing to to realize and then act upon because it, again it ties back into this idea of agency and choice and you know owning your decisions and owning your actions. I think is is that something that you've learnt to do over time? I mean, how does someone develop that? Someone who's just been surrendering to life, as you as you write about as opposed to someone who's living, you know, and choosing to live. How do you develop that, you know, that, that ability to, to operate on our own agenda, I guess, uh, you know, as opposed to those of others all the time? Yeah, so there are probably a lot of practices that we could talk about cultivating over time, but let's actually get much more granular and simple and straightforward. Let's talk about something that anybody can do literally while they're listening to this or immediately after and then keep doing every day that that will be really helpful so get into the habit of anytime a new opportunity to spend your time comes to you ask yourself will this choice allow me to absorb myself in activities and relationships that fill me up and surround myself with people i cannot get enough of mm. so and when you start to do that it seems like kind of laborious you know but it'll take four seconds um <laughs> You don't actually have to repeat the words in your head. So like, you know, like you'll get into the habit of just immediately saying like, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. What you do is that prompt starts to kind of like make you realize, oh, wow, I am doing a lot of stuff that is purely reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, what we realize is um, a lot of the things that we just do by default all day long we don't realize they're actually really driven by other people's agendas and they're sort of they're they're taking us into the process of responding to other people's timelines and agendas so if you open your eyes first thing in the morning and the first thing you do is check email check snapchat check instagram check facebook you ha- you have already in the first few seconds of your day surrendered your attention to the timelines, to the time demands, to the urgency, to the usually false emergencies of others, <laughs> um, and also to just, you know, to your own addictive um, desire to sort of like feed the data beast in your head. 
Mm. You want the dopamine hit of new, you know, the timelines on social media are set up the way they're set up for a very specific way. They take advantage of the sort of like the, the way that the brain um, triggers and releases dopamine, which, you know, is this really feel good chemical that also literally makes you addicted to a behavior. So the way a timeline happens, it's called intermittent reinforcement, in that you never know what, quite what's going to come next, but you think it might be cool, or you think it might be about you, or you think it might be necessary, but you're not going to know until you actually just swipe or hit or you know like tap or scroll. And then once you're there, you're like, oh, well, that wasn't it, but maybe the next one's going to give it to me. <laughs> so you keep going and going and going, and then you're like, oh, my God. I just spent like the first 25 minutes of my day doing something that adds zero value to my life because other people were spewing all this stuff into my streams, like, you know, my, my digital and real life streams of consciousness by every possible way because they wanted it to be out there in the world and they wanted, they felt it was important for me to see it then, but it really doesn't matter to me. And those 25 minutes, literally just destroyed my my ability to now move into my day and be intentional because now I'm behind. And when you start behind from the first moment of your day, you pretty much are going to stay behind and keep falling more behind for the entire rest of your day. I, it's just in practice. I'm curious whether you felt this too, but it's been my experience that, that when you start behind, it's brutally hard to to feel like by the end of the day, you you've sort of like you've bridge the gap and then actually even gotten ahead, let alone just like, you know, gotten even. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly my experience. And this year, uh, as part of like this podcast, my husband and I, we undertake experiments every month, you know, a different element mm. of slow living. And one of the most effective ones that we got so many people kind of buying into and we continue to get emails every day about it was screen-free bedrooms and it seemed it's such a simple thing to change and one that people were really resistant to until we started talking through our experiences and it was just that simple and I always thought I was fairly intentional in the morning I really did and I but now my alarm gets up it's ringing elsewhere in the house so I'm up I'm out and I I'm immediately into my day on my own agenda. So the first thing I do is I meditate. And that was another one of our experiments. And those two changes this year have, have just had the most profound impact on my work and my life and how I finish every single day. You know, people talk about getting to the end of a day and never feeling like they've made any headway. If anything, they might feel might maybe more stressed or more behind. On, on the whole, I don't feel like that anymore. And I put it down quite quite squarely at the feet of starting the day on my own agenda and with a clear head and being able to think through what the day looks like. And of course there's moments of distraction and, you know, moments that I get sucked into the vortex of Instagram or whatever it is, but it's not how I begin my day. And that's really intentional and really, oh man, it's honestly one of the, the most, the most important shifts I think I've made this year. Yeah, it's so interesting. I actually do almost the exact same thing. Um, we, we don't have a TV in our bedroom, um, and we haven't for a couple of years. Mm. And we've had the conversation on and off because we've moved a few times over the last few years. So like every time we move and we're sort of setting up the bedroom again, we're kind of like, okay. And I was like, you know what? It's not 
all the research in the world shows that for so many reasons, it's a bad idea. You know, it just, it's, it's not what it, what the bedroom is for or about. Um, and it's, it sets you up the wrong way. And then first thing I do, I, I wake up in the morning before anyone else at my house, I wake up without an alarm and I roll out of bed. I actually, my morning ritual begins the night before. So I, I set up my coffee maker, um, so that it's kind of almost ready to go. So I roll out of bed. I kind of fumble in the semi-darkness because I'm I'm out of bed, but I wouldn't call myself really functionally awake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm not all that human. You know, I find my way over. You know, like I hit a little button on on my grinder. I you know I have the beans, so it's sort of measured out. I put them in. I hit go on my coffee maker, and then I go and I sit and I I meditate. I do a mindfulness practice first thing every morning, no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I am in the world, whether I'm traveling or not, and. Even when I, I sit, you know, and 25, 30 minutes later, I'll end that and I'll be like, wow, my mind was spinning like crazy that whole time. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, you're not supposed to judge your daily practice, but I'm a New Yorker, so <laughs> 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 I try not to. I really try not to. But there are days where I just think to myself, wow, that was a lousy practice. But, you know, I know it wasn't. I know it's all good. But even days where I kind of feel like that, where I just knew that my mind I just – it really didn't settle the way I wanted it to or, or hoped it would. It still sets my way, my day up totally That's differently, weird. you know, just because I've chosen to, to move into the day in a much more deliberate way. And what I think I've found, you know, similarly, I will sit down and I'll, I'll just try to come to some sense of quiet, you know, even if my brain, which is generally how my brain works, is just constantly putting forward all these thoughts. And, you know, it, I feel like sometimes there's this mental kind of dog pile in my brain and I'm trying desperately to just let it go and drift off as I, you know, I don't judge myself. But I think even those days that I feel like it's not making an impact, it's absolutely making an impact. And that's often shown to me in ways that I wouldn't expect I think with much higher levels of patience and compassion and and kindness both to others but also to myself which is something that I have struggled with my whole life you know to to value myself and kind of engage in any kind of beyond low self-esteem kind of self-talk and I didn't realize that that would happen to be perfectly honest I didn't realize that I would be able to to do that as a result of just sitting with myself for a period of time every day. But it's become probably the most valuable thing that I've brought into my life this year. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've, I've experienced the same thing. It's the stuff that kind of just over time, you know, you don't even notice that it's happening, but Mm -hmm. then there'll be a moment like six months in you're like, huh, that would normally have rattled me. And I'm still kind of annoyed or I'm still kind of like bothered. I'm still anxious, but not the way I would have been, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you just, you skip a beat and you're like, before I react to something, let me just pause. Like you just notice that you're less reactive, you know, and more forgiving. And like you said, more compassionate and, and absolutely agree with you, more compassionate with yourself as well, which is, yeah, it's so interesting the way that 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 works with the practice over time is that it just kind of like, it just sort of, you know, like worms its way into all of these different um, psychological patterns, uh, you know, almost covertly over time. And then down the road, you just kind of notice one way, huh, isn't isn't that interesting? (laughs) Yeah, it's just exactly, it's just that realization in a moment that, yeah, I mean, I struggled with, with, 
my temper, for example, when the kids were little, it was just more, I was very reactive, incredibly mm. reactive. And that wasn't necessarily something I went out to fix in and of itself. But that's just, it's just not where I'm at anymore. I've got this kind of pocket of, of space, this buffer that allows me to just process things and put them in the place that they actually deserve, which is almost certainly not at the front of mind. But mm. just to be able to do that, I think, is, is yeah. And so I'm always encouraging people to do exactly as you said, you know, start the day on your own terms and find those little pockets in amongst your day as well that also allow you to kind of reset. Like I'm a big, before I had the mental capacity, I think, to sit and meditate or, you know, have a specific practice every morning, I would always try and find time during the day to put myself in front of something beautiful or, you know, just being, you know, I, we've got a, like a back garden that I really love spending time in. And every time I'm outside, I always make sure that I stop and quite literally, you know, smell a flower or study something. And I think that when people maybe are coming to the idea of mindful living, they get overwhelmed that it might need to be this hour long meditation practice every day. But there's mm. so many different ways of adopting mindfulness into into a day. Uh, do you like what? What do you think about that? And do you think it's valuable? And do you have certain practices that you bring into your day as well? Yeah. So, couple of thoughts. One, you use the phrase mindful living, which is different than mindfulness practice. Yes. And I'm glad you made that distinction between you know mindfulness practice. Most people think as sort of a seated or a standard or a walking, you know, focused. Um, practice where, you know, there's sort of a specific ritual and a specific um, process. And mindful living to me is just, it's moving throughout your day and being aware, mm. being aware of, of what's going on within you and also being aware of what's going on around you. And the seated practice definitely kind of filters out, like we were saying, to cultivate mindful living without effort, much more effortlessly over time. That said, you can definitely do things. So I stop on a pretty regular basis. Now, like you, I, I'm i in a part of New York City where two blocks in one direction is the mighty Hudson River and three blocks in the other direction is Central Park. And for anyone who's never been to New York, the, the Hudson River is this long, you know, miles and miles and miles thing. And Central Park is literally the size of a small city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it. You can get lost in there and feel like you're just completely somewhere else. And one of the reasons that we live here is because we're right between those two things. And on any given day, you'll almost always find me at some point in the afternoon, out walking, either along the river or in the trees. Um, in fact, I've gotten into the habit of doing a lot of um, meetings. Like I'll do almost all of my meetings walking, which is a little bit different because it's not so much a mindfulness activity, but when I go out for walks, it was interesting. For a while, I was actually listening to podcasts. And then I kind of realized, you know what? That's actually, I do love listening to podcasts. But if I do that, you know, if every time I walk out the door, I throw my headphones on and I listen to a podcast, it also takes me out of the experience of whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So now, now I kind of alternate where sometimes I'll have my headphones on and I'll be walking around and listening, usually when I'm just kind of running around doing tasks and, you know, like um, checking things off um, that are less important. But if I want to go out and just spend some time in solitude, spend some time being present in my environment, then I'll leave the headphones at home and I'll just kind of be there and I'll try and just look around. I also, I've, I've gotten into the habit of pausing pretty regularly 
and just looking around and, and kind of noticing. There's something that I talk about uh, in my book that's also a really fun prompt for people. Um, I'm a huge fan of moving past theory and ideas and actually getting this stuff into action. And I'm also a really big fan of making it as easy as humanly possible for somebody. Like if you tell somebody, hey, you need to sit and meditate for 30 minutes a day every day, you know, six months from now, you're going to feel something, they'll roll their eyes. And to, like, understandably so, I, I get it. But if I tell somebody, hey, listen, here's a really cool, fun thing to do. It'll take you five minutes to set up once, and then you actually never have to do anything to set up again. Take your mobile device, right? Everybody's got a vibration alert, and you have the ability to set um, little prompts or little alerts on your phone. You know, flip to whatever the app is that lets you do that. And literally set up 10 to 12. If you want, you can do more. Moments throughout the day, if you want to make it easy, just do it every hour or you can kind of make it more random where your phone is going to or your device is going to vibrate just once. Nobody else is going to hear it. It'll be in your pocket. And when it does that, you know, or you can set it up to a vibe pattern where, you know, this is my awareness trigger. It's not mm -hmm. somebody calling me or my notification. Like you actually know, like this is what this is about. Then when you feel that, whatever you're doing, you just kind of pause, right? And you notice, huh? Where, is my, where am I internally? Am I spinning about something that's going to, you know, out in the future? Am I obsessing over something that's in the past? You know, um, if so, can I just let that go for the moment, just for the moment, right? I can go back to my neuroses in a couple of seconds, <laughs> but, but just for like these five seconds, right? Make a contract with yourself. You know, it's okay. I get to go back to it in five seconds, but just for this little window, just be here now. Right. And then notice, okay, who am I with? You know, what do I see? What do I feel? What do I smell? What do I hear? Get sensory. Literally, this can take a couple of seconds. And what's kind of cool is that if you do that over time, that may well start to train your brain to do it more automatically and more frequently so that you really don't need those vibe alerts anymore. But I think it's kind of fun also because it takes something that usually is the enemy of awareness. You know, it's sort of like it's the source of distraction and reactivity, which is your mobile device and its notifications. And it turns it on its head by using those very things to actually as a tool to bring you more present and more mindful. And I think it's the, the, the power of, of those little practical steps that is so wonderful about what you do as well. You know, you really encourage people to get to get real and, you know, and, and, and active and, and, you know, become a participant in the, the choices that they're making and the, the actions that they're taking every day. And I think that's the beauty of it, you know, getting practical. I think getting practical, getting, getting down to the very – almost the things that are so small and so simple to take that you kind of feel silly not taking those steps. And I think, yeah, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a key there to, to making change. You make the, you make the changes so small that you think it's kind of ridiculous to not do them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's largely what I'm about. Um, you know, I, I realized years ago, um, anytime I've taken any kind of strength assessment or anything like that, love of learning comes up either number one or two. Mm -hmm. So I, I realized a long time ago that I'm that sort of like odd geek who just loves going deep and deep and deep and studying and, you know, nuance and layers and that, but that your average person really doesn't like that <laughs> and they don't have time for it in their day. They really just want to know tell me what matters and tell me the simplest way that I can take action on it. 
And that's kind of become a, a mission of mine. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'm the one who goes out and I love finding, you know, like amazing people and having these deep conversations and studying textbooks and, you know, like science and all this stuff. And then my quest is how can I integrate all of these things in a way where when somebody actually reads or experiences it, it's so simple. Like you don't have to work to understand what I'm talking about or why it works. You know, you can save whatever effort, whatever bandwidth you need to actually do something. I don't want you to have to take it on trying to understand what I'm saying. I want you to have that bandwidth available to use on just doing it. So for me, it's all about how can I make things as simple as humanly possible and distill them down in a way where, like you said, it's almost impossible to defend not taking action. Yeah, I I think you're, I mean, you're brilliant at it. Everything that you do, you, you walk away from listening to a conversation that you've had with somebody or you know, reading your book or manifesto or anything that you put out, you walk away thinking there is at least, at the very least, one small thing that I can shift as a result of this. And not only have you given people the thing to do, the action to take, the change to make, but also the, I guess, the, the motivation to do it because on the other side of it, on the other side of it is some kind of shift, which is going to, you know, like meld beautifully into this kind of momentum that we gain over time when these tiny changes start coming together and, and they make this, this big change. And all of a sudden you look back and you think, I didn't realize that I was moving this far forward based on these small changes, but here I am and there I was. And I think that that's phenomenal. You're, you're helping people make, make significant shifts every day. So I think it's wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And one of the things I also realized is that, um, so I'm 50. And, and uh, one of the things I started to realize when I sort of moved into, you know, more of the middle season of my life, is that as much as people um, genuinely very often want change, and they want to live better lives, they really don't want to have to endure any big mm-hmm. disruptions. You know, so if you tell somebody, hey, listen, you can feel this way or live this way. Step one, let's blow up your life first. You know, they'll look at you and they'll be like, dude, no. (laughs) You know, yes, like everything you're telling me, like, you know, you can have. I want that. But I'm not blowing everything up in the name of getting it. It's just not going to happen. So I I realized, you know, that – you got to just really just do it incrementally, like tiny little actions, tiny little steps every day that add up to really profound differences in the way you experience life. And very often without even realizing it, mm-hmm. you just kind of like you look back like three months later, you're like, oh, wait, um, nothing blew up, but everything's different. Yeah. Exactly. That, I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't put it better myself. And that, I mean, that's been my experience and virtually everyone that I speak to, it's been their experience where they might come to the realization that they need to change because of a, like a big moment, a thing happening, but it's those daily changes, those daily shifts that actually add up to the change over time. And it's, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Um, I'm really mindful of your time, but I just wanted to thank you so much for, for talking with me today and kind of, you know, dropping some, knowledge bombs on us and some wisdom on us because it's i mean i could talk to you for a long time but it's been fantastic so um thank you and congratulations on the book as well 
Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you to your community for setting aside some time to to listen to us. Um, yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no, likewise. Thanks, Jonathan.